Hi, and welcome to the Encouraging Word Podcast. My name is Stephen Young, and I'm, of course, with Paul Bennett. Um, and we are excited about continuing our series in Genesis. Um, last week, we talked about Genesis chapter 1. This week, we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 2. And in our next podcast, um, we'll wrap up the series with Genesis chapter 3. Um, each one of these chapters is very unique, <clears throat> and each one of these chapters we can also find um, so much of the foundation of Scripture is found within the first three chapters of the Bible. Um, so it's been an exciting and very fun study. Um, matter of fact, before Paul and I started recording this, we were just talking about all the different new things we were learning from taking a, a deep dive into Genesis chapter 2. Um, so we're excited to, to speak about it on air and, and um, speak about the different things that we were learning and gathering from it. Um, before we get to that, though, we're going to go to um, our fit segment, which is something that's funny, interesting, <laughs> and thought-provoking um, that's happened to us in the past what, two weeks now. So, Paul, do you want to start us off with that? Yeah, I can start us off. Um, so, uh, my, my focus for my fit today is going to be fruit smoothies. Fruit smoothies. Are you a fruit smoothie fan, Stephen? Yeah, I do like fruit smoothies. Okay, all It's right. not the forbidden fruit smoothie, is it? No, 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 no never. Never forbidden fruit. But, but um, uh, those who know me well probably know that I, I don't have a very healthy diet, and so I'm always looking for ways to... Don't you only eat meat? Right, that's, <laughs> that's like it? Yes, no I, vegetables. I'm, just... the, I'm a human carnivore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I mix in the occasional vegetable, but not without cringing in the process. And it's not something I'm proud of, but, um, it's a work in progress. Uh, but I'm always looking for ways to, you know, uh, without torturing myself too much, try and improve upon what's a pretty lousy diet. And so, you know, fruit smoothies came to mind and I, I, there, uh, a lot of fruit that I love and I could, you know, eat all day long and, and I also like really cold drinks, so I thought this is the, the perfect combination, like a milkshake, right? But healthier, I think, a little bit, you know, anyhow, yeah, so. healthier than what I usually eat. So, um, so we got a, a fancy blender at home, um, and I started buying up some of those frozen strawberries that you see in a grocery store, mm-hmm. and uh, just... You know, my my endeavor is to come up with the perfect proportions and um, make sure that there's some healthy ingredients in there. And, and I've had a few challenges so far. Uh, well, one being that um, the one time I I put the strawberries in, put way too much everything else in, and it really just ended up tasting like a milkshake with no flavor in it whatsoever, or mm. smoothie with no fruit in it. Yeah. And then the next time I tried to make it, I kept adding more... <coughs> of this and more of that because I thought everything was off balance. I thought I had too much of this or that. And so it became so huge that when I was done, it didn't just fill a single cup. It like filled the whole blender. And I realized I can't drink all this in one sitting. So I had to find a way to store it. And then my freezer was full. So I had to put it in this pitcher and I had to bring it to work with me and put in the... So, you know, I was... The, the kids wouldn't drink it or... Well, it turns out, or... yeah, one of them uh, found out about it later that night. He was trying to have some, but the problem was it was fr- frozen solid because uh, it had been in the freezer all day. You know, yeah. for for normal drinks, you can put them in the fridge and you can rely on them always being the right temperature. But for 
things that are not supposed to be frozen but not supposed to be liquid, <laughs> what do you do? You have to keep moving them back and forth if you're not going to drink them, you know, that moment. So or you have to take them out of the freezer like six hours before you want to drink them. So that's the problem I've encountered the last few days. I have this big vat of wonderful fruit smoothie, but I have to think six hours ahead of time to take it out. And then if I forget, it just it, it gets liquid and nasty. So... Uh, that's been my adventure so far, so I thought I'd encourage anybody else out there who's uh, interested to uh, take the journey. It's, it's, I, I think the end result's going to be good. If you have any tips for me, feel free to send me some comments. What Are you ever going to do, like, a veggie smoothie? Oh, you know, I... Because then you can get your vegetables in. I know, without, I know, you know yeah. You just drink it down. I know exactly where you're going with that, and I think... I think it might be possible for me to take in some vegetable content with these things. I think it has to be well hidden. It has to be well hidden. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to get to the point where I try that. Once I'm comfortable with all the other ingredients and, right. and the dosage or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the dosage. <laughs> you could also, like, you know, just make, like, a shot glass worth of veggie and just kind of just plug your nose and just do it real quick. Well, if you I wanted to do that, I, would, I wouldn't put it in a shot glass. I'd just take the broccoli stalk and I would chew it real quick. That's no better than what I've been trying to no, do my whole life. Chewing real quick takes a lot more effort than just gulping That's it true. down and you'll be it's done. Big. You won't even... Literally like taking medicine. Right, yeah. yeah you're yeah. taking your vegetables as your medicine. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm sure you got something more profound and interesting than that. What do you got for us? Right. Uh, yeah, mine's... I guess contrast is a little bit sadder, I guess. Um, but anyone who <laughs> has been following the news and who's not living under a rock has probably heard that the queen has died, um, the queen in, in the United Kingdom, um, from the country that we rebelled against. So, um, But the queen has died, and she reigned for 70 years? That sounds right. 70, yeah. Sounds like what I was reading, yeah. Yeah, it was super long. Um, the reason, too, I wanted to bring it up because <clears throat> there was, uh, um, I listened to many, many different podcasts, not just this one. Actually, I usually don't listen <laughs> yeah, back to this, I never one. To this one. I don't think, yeah, I don't know what yeah. that says. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but one of the podcasts I follow is, is based out of the UK. And they were talking about um, the Queen, and it's a Christian podcast out of the UK, and they talked about how the Queen actually has a really strong faith, and there's actually a book written about her faith. Um, but there's a quote um, from the Queen um, that my mom found online, <clears throat> and it said, um, the Queen said, For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. Um, so I think there's a strong um, connection. I, I truly believe that the queen um, was a Christian um, and, and followed Christ. And, and while so many people said what she did within the monarch monarchy was really, really, um, she was really, really good. There was a lot, a lot of people who looked up to her. Her approval rating was like 80%. Most of all of England loved her. Um, anyone who didn't love her, I don't know, it's been kind of weird. <laughs> so um, she was just fantastic. So, um, and I just think it's interesting to um, also hear in America how it was just big news here too, even though we don't have monarchs. Um, but still, I think there is a, she 
just pulled people to herself and just so many people were attracted to her um, in her life. So um, I think it's also a testament to what it, mean, what it means to follow Christ and how we can draw people to ourselves um, just because of the life that we lead. And if we're following Christ, I think um, we look at Christ's life. Many people came to Christ because of his life and the life that he lived, um, which actually speaks to the series that our church is doing uh, about Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus was pulled to the life of Christ. He, he was desperate enough to climb a tree to see Jesus. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the life of Christ is a very attractive thing. Hmm. All right, so we're going to start our series, um, or start <laughs> the second part of our series, Genesis chapter 2, and um, we'll have Paul read it for us. Are you up for reading, Paul? Yeah, I can do that. I'll I'll give it a stab here. All right. Yeah, so this is Genesis chapter 2. If you listen to the first episode, you may remember that we we did finish with the first few verses of chapter 2 because uh, they really pertain more to chapter 1 than they do to the content of chapter 2. So we're starting here in Genesis 2 chapter, or Genesis 2 verse 4. We'll read through the end of the chapter, so uh, just uh, listen in, or if you have it in front of you, even better. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All right, that's a wrap of uh, Genesis chapter 2. And if you're familiar with Genesis chapter 1 or you listen to our first episode, you'll recognize a, a fair amount of overlap in content there, um, which I, I think really takes me to uh, my first question or, or my first uh, topic of interest today. And, and this is um, perhaps quite obvious. Why, why are we coming to chapter 2 here and, and really, in, in essence, repeating, or at least in part, uh, the account of creation. It's almost like a, a whole entirely new account of creation when we just got finished explaining all of that in chapter 1. In fact, the first verse here, uh, verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Uh, so the so the observant reader might look at that and say, well, I thought I thought we just did that. I thought we just covered that in chapter 1. So that was one of the first things I I saw it after was a, an answer to that question, why uh, two creation accounts? And um, what I can tell you is uh, that uh, most of the, the content that I read said that um, the purpose of Genesis 1 uh, really was an, an overview of all of creation, the entire, uh, the entire process of creation. But in, in Genesis 2, the author, which uh, is, is a, a, a believed to be the same author as wrote Genesis 1, is um, trying to essentially zoom in and really focus on uh, the sixth day of creation, the day in which humanity was created, and, and some of the uh, connecting pieces and, and topics related to that. So um, it, there's, there's a little bit more to it than that, and, and there is some debate as to whether the same author wrote both. Um, but it, it is believed, as we covered in the last episode, that Moses uh, did write all of Genesis. Um, and in fact, uh, pretty much the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, but some people would say Genesis 2 might be a different author because, once again, you're, you're re repeating some of the content. Um, a couple other things. One is that uh, the author of Genesis 2 uses a different title for God. Uh, in Genesis 2, you hear the term Yahweh, and in Genesis 1, God was referred to as Elohim. And so there's some uh, question as to, to why the different title uh, for God. And, and the response is largely that Genesis 2 is a, is a different purpose. It's, it's really honing in on a, a specific aspect of, of God, specific action of God, and that is the, the creation of humanity, his relationship with humanity, so you're seeing a different, um, a different title for God because it's really a different uh, aspect of God that we're highlighting. Um, and that's, uh, that's what you see in Genesis 2 is a more personal God uh, who is really beginning to interact and build a relationship with his uh, children. And that's why you see a, a different title that emphasizes that. So uh, that was the first topic I thought we definitely needed to address is uh, why why really what seems to be a second creation account. I don't know if you discovered anything on that, Stephen, or if you want to lead us in another direction. No, I, <clears throat> no, I would agree with that. It's almost like um, Genesis 1 is the cosmic big picture of creation, and Genesis chapter 2 is goes into a little bit more intimate detail um, about creation, um, and specifically too about the creation of human beings and 
and um, the creation of companionship between men and women and, um, and God's direct involvement in the creation of man um, or humans that um, is very, very unique to all of <clears throat> nothing else in creation um, was created and has was created in the way that humans were created. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think from here on out, you have um, different contrasting viewpoints. You have good and evil. You have knowledge and ignorance. You have harmony and discord. You have life and death. You you start these themes start to come about um, after Genesis chapter one. So Genesis chapter one is just that big cosmic picture. And Genesis 2 and 3 and following, you get more of a detailed um, picture of what is happening on this earth that God has created. So, yeah, I would agree with everything you had said there. Okay. All right. Sounds like we're on the same page. You want me to introduce another interesting factoid here? Oh, yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, factoid or, um, or maybe... You know, at least a, a dilemma. Yeah. So there's a few um, things that are debated, kind of in line with that question of um, authorship of the first two chapters, whether it's the same author and whether there are, if there are contradictions um, in the two chapters, and that would uh, seem to argue that perhaps more likely that there were two different authors. So one of the things that people bring up, and this is when I did my first uh, introductory read of the passage, this popped out to me too, is verse 5, it says, uh, out of the bloom, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. And I was a little concerned by that because I thought, once again, back in uh, chapter 1, we had just finished in day 3 of creation talking about how God had created uh, plants and vegetation on the earth. So uh, that's one of the things that people bring up and what I, what I discovered when digging into that is um, that the, the, the suggestion is that there are different types of, of plants that are introduced um, at different points. Because what's referred to in Genesis chapter 2 here is, is after humanity was created. So it's a different time period. So the uh, third day of creation, the idea is that God created uh, what we might call seed-bearing plants and fruit trees. And those are the things that, that fed um, Adam and Eve in the garden. But the rest of, of uh, the plants that had yet to be created, specifically those that were the type of plants that a, a human would tend, would, would work, work the fields, work uh, the crops, those were created in, in Genesis chapter 2. And those did not come forth until um, water uh, was was sent not down from the sky in the form of rain, but up from the grounds, or at least spread through bodies of water that already existed um, on the grounds. And it was at that point in Genesis chapter 2 that uh, the, the plants that Adam would eventually tend uh, once he gets kicked out of the garden uh, started to spring up. But um, it's also clear once you start breaking down some of the language here that Outside of the Garden of Eden, there's no food. There's no uh, plants that are producing food even after they're created uh, because there's no rain yet and the water that comes up from the ground or, or the water that's available around them isn't, isn't, being, um, isn't being transferred or isn't being uh, applied to the crop. So there's this sense that all of creation can't really blossom or take forth until humanity is, is sent into it to, to really work the fields and maybe envision 
uh, like the uh, aqueduct system and the irrigation system, that needed to take place for most of these areas to, to actually start uh, taking off and thriving the, the plants and to produce food. And that didn't happen until uh, after the fall, and, and Adam and his uh, descendants were sent out to uh, work in those areas. So not maybe hugely important, um, but at least interesting, I thought, to, to discuss that. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, is in, in verse 5, it is, the end of verse 5, where it says, um, that there's no one there to cultivate the soil. So it kind of gives a picture that some of the, the plants needed, like they weren't just going to come up on, I guess they would come up on their own, but there's a, just like with any garden, any garden or any um, field of food, it has to be cultivated, it has to be taken care of, um, there has to be a gardener in order for a garden to reach its fullest potential. Um, and I think it's just interesting how um, that there needed to be someone to cultivate the soil there. Um, and then jumping on to the kind of what the next big thing that happens where God forms Adam out of the dirt. Um, mm -hmm. And this is just a great, great picture. Um, one of the most intimate pictures in all of scripture where you have God foreign man out of dust. You almost get this picture of a potter, um, which God's been called a potter um, in scripture before, um, like a potter taking clay <clears throat> and forming out of that clay. Um, he forms Adam um, and doesn't have, he doesn't have any life until God breathes life into him, um, which is also a very beautiful picture as well. This very intimate scene of you could picture this intimate scene of God forming something out of dirt and, and gently breathing into it. Um, and, this, and this clay thing comes to life. Um, and also this, this picture, this breathing life is also seen again. Um, Jesus also breathes life into his disciples after his resurrection. Um, so this, this image, this motif, this... This, what's going on here is, again, repeated throughout Scripture, um, that God gives life, and that God is the source of life as well, and that without His breath of life within us, we return back to the earth in which we came, right? Um, we, we return back to dirt. <clears throat> That's kind of a, <laughs> talking about that now is kind of, it's what I'm teaching my girls right now, um, that we are, when something dies, it, it decomposes and goes back to dirt, because we um, we all go back to the earth in which we came out of. So it's, it's just interesting. Um, and it just paints a very beautiful, intimate picture. And there's nothing in all of creation that has this imagery. There's God doesn't, not that God provides life for all things. He provides food for all things. But obviously there's not, <laughs> this doesn't show like God forming a hippopotamus and breathing air in there, or God forming a squirrel or anything like that. He, he created all those things and all those things are given life by God, but obviously human beings have a very, very special role. Um, not only in Genesis chapter 1, we're created in the image of God, and then Genesis chapter 2, we're created from the hands of God and given life from the breath of God. So there's human beings definitely have a very, very significant role and purpose in creation that is vastly different um, than all the other creation around us. Um, and that's not... Sometimes when people, I've heard critics about when people hear that view of humanity, <clears throat> criticize it because they'd say, well, humans 
or we're all just animals, right? But God says, no, we're, there's something that's very specific about humans that is different. And we don't use the status as being humans as a way to crush the earth, but as a way to cultivate the soil, as it says, as a way to cultivate the earth and take care of the earth. We're meant to be um, caretakers. Um, that's very the special privilege that we have received. Um, not using the privilege we have received to crush creation, but in order, but it's meant to um, help creation flourish. So, yeah, it's it's good stuff, and I think that's a theme that exists throughout Scripture. It's not just here; is that God has sent uh, us to to care for, um, whether it be other humans, whether it be His creation, whether it be the, the creatures of of creation. We are sent to represent God in this world, and uh, God's intent was really for us to not just uh, be his underlings or his representatives, but also really to rule alongside him. Right. Um, he would always be God, and we would always be the children of God, and, and there are very different, um, very different roles there, but still we were called to that special role of, of being uh, God's uh, sidekicks, essentially. And I think uh, you make some really good points. The, the the concept of humanity being created from the dust of the earth, um, what I read on that was that, you know, it's not meant to be taken literally like God needed, a, a, you know, a few more ingredients than dust, <laughs> you know, to whip us into shape. But, um, but the emphasis really is on this notion that what we are created from is what we return to when the breath of life is, is taken out of us and we don't become that until the breath of life is is put into us and the word breath here um is actually the same word i can't remember if it was last episode or before that we talked about the word ruach uh in right. hebrew which can be translated one of three different ways actually it can be breath it can be spirit or it can be mm -hmm. wind so really right. god breathing into us is is akin to him uh sending his spirit mm -hmm. into us um and I think that's a even more beautiful image, and you know, it makes things more complicated than when you look to Acts two and you ask, well, what what does Pentecost mean then? When you know God sends His Spirit, I thought He already breathed His Spirit, and so that yeah, conversation for a different day maybe. But um, but that the the um, the relationship between those three terms, the, the wind and spirit and breath and. Um, that's those are all present really in the first couple of chapters of Genesis, and they're all interrelated. Uh, uh, to plug along into another topic here, and really getting more into the specifics on how what Stephen just described played out with uh, humanity becoming caretakers for God's creation, we got to talk about the the location here. We're in a garden, right? And uh, one of the first things I I um, read as explanation was that when the Bible talks about garden. It's not the same thing that we mean when we think of garden. Uh, garden is not a you know row of carrots next to a row of uh, parsnips yeah. next to you know a few carnation plants. This is uh, a garden is essentially I think um, maybe botanical garden is more uh, the image we want to conjure up here. Um, arboretum, I think. I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's <laughs> I've been to places called arboretums that, that have this image of just a really almost like a, a park uh, with trees and landscaping and, and flowers. And um, there's also, you know, always beautiful sources of water that kind of bring life to all of it and, and, and kind of mesh it all together. Um, so Eden 
is a, a term. The term Eden is a, a word that means abundance of some sort, usually talking about water supply. So the, yeah. the image we have is of a, a garden. Um, and there's a little confusion if the garden is in Eden or the garden is somehow connected to Eden. But um, this really bountiful um, uh, and really alive and, and, and flourishing um, garden slash park slash botanical garden space. And um, this was really a familiar concept in the ancient world. A lot of kingdoms had areas like this and then um, a lot of cities were built around them. And the water would flow forth and bring life to other areas around them, which is exactly what we see described here. And, um, and very specifically, the, the four rivers that are mentioned. So we'll, we'll get into those maybe in a few minutes. Um, but the theme of garden is something that runs all throughout uh, Scripture. And so I'll let Stephen chime in if he wants to touch on that, or I'll come back to that in a minute. But any thoughts on just garden in general here? Yeah, I... I like that idea of it. It's not just like a like a vegetable garden. It's a I, I've gone to a couple of botanical gardens. Those are absolutely gorgeous and um, thinking of it as, as a very abundant green space, um, especially too when you think of the context in which the Bible is written. It was written in the Middle East. Um, there's a lot of deserts. There's mm-hmm. a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of dry places. So like. The Garden of Eden, a place of abundance, just like when God says, um, when leading the children of Israel, he'll take them to a place flowing with milk and honey. Um, again, I would say it's a reference to a place of an abundance. Um, and then, so this this kind of seeking abundance in, in a place of uh, dryness is, is kind of like the, the place you want to get to, like abundance and green life and water and fruit and... Um, um, so I think it's just sets a very beautiful picture when you contrast it with um, kind of the harsh environment that can be the Middle East. Um, but yeah, and as Paul said, the garden and <clears throat> the garden is um, a theme that's carried all throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's it's it starts um, the Bible and ends the Bible. It's um, you have the garden uh, garden in Eden, and you have the garden at, in the end of Revelations as well. Um, and then in the temples, there's there's garden motifs in the temple and the tabernacle. Um, and then as Paul and I were actually just talking about before we start recording, is that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's and just before his own death, um, the garden shows up again. Um, so this garden motif is carried all throughout Scripture. Um, and also the motif of like producing fruit. Um, I'm just like, as Christians, Paul would say, like, our lives are meant to produce fruit. And Jesus as well says, you know a man by the fruit he produces. And and I think that fruit motif is going back to the garden <laughs> again. So, um, yeah, it's a theme that's carried throughout. And I'm sure we'll get to this here soon. And in verse 9, we talk about trees and how there's two trees in the garden. And trees is also a theme that's carried um, throughout all of Scripture and I don't know about you, Paul, but when I was reading about this, the trees of knowledge of good and evil, and, and that this place was, um, God made all sorts of trees growing from the ground. So this is a place that's full of different trees. Like you, you, Again, it, like what Paul said, it's not this carrot garden. It's this beautiful forest of trees everywhere, all types of trees. And it just made me think too deeply about how important trees are to, to life. Like 
Um, I know we drive past them every day, just literally there's a tree, whatever, but it's just like, I, I just took a long look out of the window. I'm like, man, there's tr how important are trees to our livelihood? You know, if, if there were no trees, I don't, I don't know if human beings would survive on earth because trees take in the carbon monoxide and, um, the carbon monoxide, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, common, yeah, I'm pretty or sure. dioxide. Dioxide, that's it's one of those, dioxide. Yeah, yeah. dioxide, and they right. spit out the, the oxygen, oxygen. that which, helps us breathe. Yeah, it helps us breathe, right. which is, if, if the garden is how God feeds his people, God you know, brings life, the tree right. of life, uh, right. is actually literally bringing life to exactly. Adam and Eve. He continues to bring life to all of creation now by... By, by the trees, trees right? Giving off oxygen. Right. And I think this is most contract. This is probably why I love winter sometimes. I do love winter sometimes. But winter, <laughs> what makes winter so hard is that all the trees, they have no leaves. And it's just like just barren. And you just see sticks out of the ground. And that's why I love spring when you see the leaves coming back and the trees flourishing again. And, and um, But yeah. Anything to add to that, Paul? No, that's, that's, yeah, that's where I was going to venture next is into the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, um, I think you pointed out beautifully that, you know, these trees were the source of um, life. And it really, I'd see, especially in the garden when all things began, it was had to have been abundantly clear for Adam and Eve, especially that everything that uh, was a gift from God was coming by means of a tree. It was their life was sustained by the eating of the tree of life. All of the food that they received at the time, because remember there was no vegetable patches. There was no, it was all trees. It was all seed bearing fruit and mm -hmm. fruit trees. And, um, you know, so everything came from a tree. I think it's interesting that the knowledge of good and evil also comes from a tree. And I think clearly it's something that is of God. It originates from God. Um, but it's it's almost representing the, the distinction between God and humanity. God wanted to extend the opportunity for humanity to receive all of his many blessings and gifts and everything um, that uh, that he had, he wanted to extend to them for an authentic and loving relationship, but there was one thing that humanity uh, was not equipped to receive, at least at that time, and that was the fruit of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. And uh, I think we, obviously, we see throughout <laughs> um, history and, and throughout scripture how that played out when we tried to, to eat of the tree that was not uh, for us, wasn't intended for us, we weren't ready to receive um, but I think, you know, just adding that to the garden motif and gardens throughout scripture and God sustaining life through uh, those trees, it, it brings it all to life. Um, next, we have the rivers. And I don't think we need to go too much yeah. in depth as specific as they are about these, these rivers. The only thing I would mention is um, a lot of people try and use the names and descriptions of these rivers to hunt down the Garden of Eden. In fact, mm -hmm. if I lived probably near the Euphrates River or the Tigris River, I'd probably wake up every day and say, today's the day I'm going to find <laughs> Eden because I know it's got to be around here somewhere. And I, I live real close. So, But um, I, I don't think that was ever the intent. Uh, what really I think is being described through these uh, these rivers and by the way those those two i mentioned are the only two that are still known to us the other two names that are referenced are not uh current existing rivers so the possibility is 
the we they could be known by a different name now or uh they could have very easily have dried up in fact there's evidence that one river uh the Krishan, i believe that uh was is based on the location that's given in genesis 2 that there is a river bed there that once uh, held water so very easily could have been the Pashan. But the image that's being provided here is really that all the, the gift of gifts of life that were being um, poured out in the Garden of Eden were then extending. Uh, God's gift of life and abundance, abundance was being extended out into the world through these rivers. That, right. that water, really that, that water of life, was uh, extending out and bringing life to every area uh, in the world. And I think that's the, the image that they're going for here. Right. And I believe in Revelations, the water is flowing from the throne, the throne of God. So there's, again, it's it's this source of water, especially again when you gotta think of when this text is, is written in a desert, mm-hmm. uh, in the Middle East. And but water is a source of life, and whether you're in a desert or not, it doesn't matter, because um, you can see throughout human history, the biggest cities and where cities come up is near bodies of water, because you have to have water, um, and and water is just is the mm-hmm. source of life. Um, and again, this, I mean, that motif is, again, is carried throughout all of scripture, um, water as, as being a source of life. And, and I, I agree with you. I think all of these rivers are real. However, I do think obviously like the terrain has changed without mm-hmm. a doubt. I mean, you, <laughs> you can look at some of the rivers in our world today. Like I, I, was, I like to, um, the Salt Lake River or Salt Lake, um, has changed just from, I don't know from the '90s till now. I mean, so wow. the ge- geographically, the world is always in flux, mm-hmm. especially in the world we are in today. But yeah, I'm sure they were all real at one point, um, but I'm, without a doubt, the geography has changed. Um, and then com- coming from that, we have the first command that God gives mm-hmm. um, man. We have, um, He says, "You freely can eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you will surely die." So we have the very first command that God, first and only command that God gives, which is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. It's kind of, it reminds me of when trying to raise kids, you know, it's like you can play with every toy, every toy, <laughs> like, and, and like whatever is downstairs, play with everything you want, but just don't put, you know, don't put a toy in the disk drive. You know what I mean? Like, just don't touch this thing and of course of course you anyone anyone who's had kids you're like of course your child now is going to be like why can't i do that you know it's just like they're going to find a way to to mess with the thing that you told them not to mess with like it's like you have every single toy that that you need you know but just don't touch this Mm -hmm. and of course you come back and that's what they touch so um, I, I almost get that the picture of that God gives Adam. He's like, you all these fruit trees, all these amazing trees, trees that probably don't even exist anymore, and and fruit that we've never seen or heard of before. But then, he, of course, he was tempted to do the very thing that God told him not to do. Um, but this is the very first and only command. You know, God, God's like, I this command is the only one that you need. You can do whatever you want, just don't eat of this fruit of mm-hmm. the tree here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, not to jump ahead, but I guess we're not going chapter by chapter through the whole Bible, so I guess this is fair game. Yeah. But the, really, the to me, one of, if not the most important themes in the, the entire Old Testament is 
um, God demonstrating to his people that they, like the child that you just spoke of, they cannot make good decisions on their own. They are not equipped uh, to find life, to receive salvation, to uh, find meaning and purpose without him, without without living through him and, and under him. And to that end, some of the most uh, ridiculous things that we think we read in the Old Testament, we're like, what in the world is this about? That's one of the, the purposes for its existence is to show us that we uh, we are helpless on our own, whether it be some weird story of, of um, you know, some somebody going off the deep end and committing, you know, horrific act and um, and we're wondering why is this in here? Well, it's showing that humanity uh, corrupts and, and falls apart and, and can't can't be healthy on their own. If it's one of these ridiculous laws that we read about, it's uh, to show that um, no matter how specific God is about exactly what we should and shouldn't do, um, humanity still can't because they, they can obey out of fear to a point, but their heart just isn't in line with God, so they'll never be able to truly live the way that they are called to live and is best for them, no matter how many rules, no matter how thick the rule book, no, how speci- no matter how specific the, the instructions. And so the, the point being, we start here in the Garden of Eden, and there's one, there's one rule. And uh, then we progress a little further into Scripture, and I'm not going to pretend to know exact citations, but we, we shift it to love God, love neighbor. And then we arrive in Exodus, and we're pumping out ten. We get the the Ten Commandments. And then throughout the rest of uh, the Old Testament, I don't know the exact number, but there's lots and lots and lots of laws of God really trying to show his people, hey, you know, it's it's these are exactly what you need to do if you do this. I couldn't be more specific, couldn't be more clear. You, you'll be in good shape, but... We fail epically every single time, and by the end of the Old Testament, if you if you don't know how helpless you are as a human being in this world without Jesus, uh, then you right. you haven't been paying much attention. Right. So it's, it all starts though here in the Garden of Eden uh, right. with the demonstration that one rule and one very simple rule and one that, as Stephen pointed out, shouldn't be that difficult to follow because we have everything we could ever hope for or ask for at our fingertips. Um, but Adam and Eve still couldn't follow that one that one rule. Right, and of course we'll get to in Genesis chapter three. There, <laughs> there was an influencing factor in right. them deciding, but we'll get to that later. But yeah, I, I we we could almost do a whole podcast just on rules, which would actually be quite fascinating because <clears throat> I um, how rules function differently in different societies. How like even the Pharisees made up rules to protect the other rules behind the rules. Mm-hmm. So as this as human beings, we're just naturally rebellious and we have to create creating rules and rules and rules and rules and rules because we're always finding loopholes and loopholes and, and going around the rules and questioning the rules. It's just, it's natural human nature to defy um, any sort of rules. Um, um, So yeah, and then the next thing, moving along here, we get to, I would say probably the definitely one of the climaxes of this chapter is the creation of the woman. Um, there's a couple of things to say here, and I'm sure Paul have a lot to say about women. So Yes, I, I have a wealth of knowledge on women. So right. There's no end to it. Right. Um, but one thing that I want to point out is that, um, actually, before we get to that, I think it's fascinating to just quickly point out how God gives the man the authority to name all the creatures 
mm. and all the creatures that have been created, which I think goes to what Paul had said earlier that um, human beings were created to rule. Of course, God is still God, but we were created to rule alongside God on earth. Um, so, like, God gives us three. He's like, I'm not going to name them. You can name all the animals, you know. Not because God couldn't name them or didn't want to, but he's like, hey, I'm passing this responsibility to you. Because I think naming is gives a sense of authority, you know. Wow, like, yeah. like, we name our kids because um, it's like they didn't get to choose their own name. We chose their yeah. name. So, um, so it's like it gives a sense of authority, a sense of, 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 of that they have power over, like, we're giving you this name. Um, I think that shows God sharing the responsibility of taking care of the earth. Not to uh, cut in real quick, but just um, it reminded me, popped into my head the image of the feeding of the 5,000 and how the disciples came to Jesus with this um, dilemma. People are hungry. You know, they've right. been out here listening to you all day. Right. And what does Jesus say? Well, you know, okay, go feed them. Like, you right. feed them. They come to him expecting him to work. <laughs> right. And it, so I think that theme runs throughout Scripture of um, God and God through Jesus always wanting to bring humanity in as participants yes. and really like side by side yes. with him in the work of the kingdom. Exactly. And that, and that's a huge theme. A theme actually I've been studying a little bit on the side is how, how much God involves human beings in like the process, the making of scripture. Um, God sends his spirit in order that the gospel is spread not through Christ going from place. I mean, it's spread slowly for Christ, but when he resurrects and he's like, hey, I'm sending you out to go to Rome and to spread, like, I mean, there's, there's a whole, another huge podcast on the divine and human partnership, which I think that's, that'd be a great podcast. Um, but we see that divine and human partnership here when, when uh, man creating, or sorry, not creating, but naming. Um, so then we get to um, the creation of woman, and I think one thing that's important, a couple of things that are important. One thing that um, people always get on scripture about or critical of scripture about is that the woman is described as the helper, <laughs> but really this is actually God is most often described as the helper in scripture. Um, so there's no there's no such role as like the woman as beneath the man. There's when when you look at this, you could as a matter of fact you could say the man actually is not complete. The man is 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 not complete until the woman is created, which actually speaks to Genesis chapter one where it says God created them male and female. So there's there's already this sense of like already in this big cosmic picture, male and female on equal grounds. And then here we look in Genesis chapter two, the man is not complete. You know, he, he's still not finished in essence. It's the woman and the man together that complete each other um, because it's like they're not one until there is two, right? It's like mm -hmm. there's got to be two before there's, before there's one. Um, so the man by himself is incomplete and the woman by herself is incomplete. Um, but together they both are united as one. And together, I would say in Genesis chapter 1, together they also represent the image of God together. Um, because God is described as, as the father and, and is described as he and male, but God doesn't have a gender um, specifically. So anything you want to add to that there? Yeah, I, I had three things on the creation of um, woman, and you already kind of covered at least one and a half of them. But one was that, that term helper, and you nailed it, um, the 
texts in scripture that describe God as the helper coming in uh, really to rescue humanity right. or usually his, his people, the Israelites, when they were failing miserably at something or they couldn't accomplish something, he would swoop up and, and uh, complete them, complete the process and, and right. kind of take them over the the edge um, to accomplish whatever it was. So a helper is not, like you said, it's not a inferior role. It's really, um, it's really what allows there to be completion and, and success. Right. And um, what reinforces that is this notion that Eve was created from Adam's rib. Uh, the text says rib. The reading I've done, the, the podcast, I think that talked about this, said that uh, rib kind of works, but maybe side from Adam's side yeah, is a right. more accurate right. um, interpretation of this word. And the emphasis, if you know what I've read is correct, is, is that um, Eve was not created from Adam's head. She was not created from his foot because uh, she was not his head. She didn't wasn't created to lord over him. She wasn't his foot. She wasn't created to be uh, crushed underneath him. You know, she was created to uh, be at his side, to uh, to be alongside him in relationship. So that's why God pulled her from the side of um, Adam. And the other word that I think is important here is the word suitable, and it speaks really uh, very clearly to what what uh, the relationship between man and woman is supposed to be about, or or why God chose man and woman. And and when you look up the word suitable. Um, it's a it's a uh, compound word. That's a that's the word for it. Compound word um, with two individual words meaning meaning one of them um, like and and kind of agreement in kind. So um, suitable carries with it this notion that the two things uh, that are suitable for each other are similar. They they have a lot of of similar or identical qualities, but also um, the second half of the compound word is different or or opposite. So that there are different qualities that are brought into uh, the pairing that are essential uh, to that to that coupling. So uh, that's why man and, and women were created to complement each other. They were both human. They were both created in God's image. But there were some different qualities uh, of right. the woman that uh, as God created her, he knew right. that were intended to complement or, or complete what was lacking in, in many ways of uh, from the man. So. Right. Um, those are the, I think the things that jump out the most and this really cool notion that this was the first surgery and the first use of anesthesia <laughs> in all of scripture, right? Uh, so I, I imagine God did it a little differently, but it shows, um, that it can be done without pain because there's no pain, right? Yeah. So God put Adam into a deep sleep. So he didn't feel any of this had to have been really, really awkward. Right. Uh, right. but yeah, those are the things that, that jumped out for me. And I, I think this is just. What's interesting here, it's, I know we live in a society or two where, where genders and question and, and trying to understand it. And, um, but going here in, in scripture, you just think there's, there's a divine, maybe I can't put my, my thumb on it, but there's, there's just something divine about both male and female and, and unity and both genders, male and female, because they are both very there are differences obviously differences but there's also obvious similarities as well um, and I just think it's interesting that typically like that the two become one you know there's mm -hmm. a sense this absolute sense of unity between the two like you can't have one without the other 
Um, and, you know, it's like they're both naked without shame. There's, there is complete unity. Um, and when we jump to Genesis chapter 3, you will automatically start to see the, the breaking of that unity. So this is the, you could almost argue that here at the end of Genesis chapter 2 is the pinnacle of unity and harmony, mm. the pinnacle of, of things all in, in sync as it was meant to be. Yeah. Um, and then Genesis chapter 3, you start to see the breaking down of that. Um, but here we are at the end of Genesis chapter 2, and, and um, there's flourishing. And also I've heard people say that this is, Verse 23 is the first poem, uh, first song, actually like a song, like the man started singing. And in my translation, which is the NLT translation, it, verse 23 starts with at last, which reminds, isn't there a song called at last, right? I can't sing it. I know Paul can sing it. I, but. <laughs> two, two things are coming to mind and something about at last my prince has come and then the free at last um, oh yeah but um but I there's know, a song there's a song that no i'm not talking about there's a <laughs> okay. song called at last well he says at last i don't know if you know the song leave it in the comments that'd be a great way to start up our comment section yeah <laughs> if we have i'll be impressed if anybody can pull <laughs> right <that>. exactly <laughs> I know it's. I could. I'm sure I can find that song in like two seconds, um, but yeah, that I think that's um, my most of all my takeaways from chapter two. Do you have any um, anything else that you want? Yeah, I mean, not really. I I could. We could go on forever just oh, about for that sure. last verse uh, in particular. Like, what does it mean? At, at that time, they were naked. They felt no shame. Yeah. Um, and and I I had all sorts of thought trails coming out of that. Like if this was the way it was before the fall, and this is not meant to be <laughs> dirty or anything at all, but is yeah. was this God's design intention that we would um, we would be able to be naked and have no shame in the world in relationship with one another? And and I you know the reality is as long as we're living in a world wrought with sin, then we can't pretend to have achieved that. But that you know, that would seem to be God's original design. Um, so there's a lot of things you can you can pull from that, but I thought that was interesting that that was really in, in a state of perfection. That's um, where we were at. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, why did they, they feel no shame? A couple of theories that I came across, one was um, that they, as I think Stephen was inferring, that nothing to hide from each other um, right. because they were completely pure right. and they felt no no shame about anything, uh, any aspect of their bodies. Uh, they had no insecurity uh, of any sort, and they had no one to hide from. Uh, they were in, in beautiful union with, with God, so there was no need to hide themselves from Him. Um, and really, in a, in a sin-free world, uh, it's you're also living in a shame-free world. And, and so, you know, what what are you? What would you be worried about? And, and the second theory is this, that... Um, and I thought this was interesting. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were almost living in a uh, prepubescent existence, uh, that they were mm -hmm. like innocent children, and that at this point they were unaware of um, their sexuality. And I'm not sure how I feel about that, because I think you know God designed us to be aware of our sexuality, but maybe not that element of shame needing to be in there. Um, I go back and forth on really where to go with that but um you know obviously they don't uh conceive and have children until after 
the fall, right? So maybe it was really that they were just completely naive about um, sexuality and, and anything that uh, would be relating to it. So, uh, yeah, just interesting takeaways even from that last verse. But uh, this chapter is just <laughs> packed full of uh, amazing content. We could go down all sorts of rabbit trails, but uh, we got one more to cover. We'll, we'll come back to you and uh, wrap it up with Genesis 3. Um, this has been a fun a fun exploration, and uh, we'll just see where we can go from here. But uh, thanks for joining us, and we hope uh, you and your families are doing well. We hope you got something out of uh, this podcast, and um, we're able to maybe have your eyes open in a new way to some concept or some like old part of the story you've been hearing for years, and all of a sudden it takes on new life um, with uh, kind of peeling back the onion a bit. So look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you in and around the church. Um, and uh, feel free to leave us some comments or just check in, say hi on the uh, comment section. All right, friends, take care.